Hello, and welcome to IAOP's podcast series, PulseCast, where we explore topics big and small in a world of collaborative partnerships. Thank you for joining us, and now the host of PulseCast. Hi, I'm Amanda Safdar, and welcome to this episode of IAOP's PulseCast. Today we'll be listening in on our day one opening session from Gov20 brought to us by Avasant. We'll hear from Kevin Parikh, Avasant's chairman and CEO, as well as a panel of experts from Howard University, Merck, and Avasant as they discuss valuable insights into the new rules of governance and how it will help you navigate complex and continuously evolving technology and vendor landscapes. Enjoy. I am so pleased to introduce our opening keynote, Governance Reimagined, Enabling Agility in the Digital Enterprise, brought to you by our global partner, Avasant. This is a two-pronged session beginning with a TED-style keynote presentation by Avasant's chairman and CEO, Kevin Parikh, and followed by a moderated discussion. Kevin, the floor is yours. Oh, thank you, Debbie. It's, uh, of course, our pleasure to be here, and I'm going to share my screen. Wonderful. So thank you so much for having us, Debbie. Uh, today, I'm going to open with the concept of governance reimagined and what we need to do in this post-COVID-19 world. How we have to think about governance differently. See, things have actually changed more than we might immediately consider. Uh, governance today is remote in many cases, and that means that contracts have to be managed in a 24 by 7 manner. People could be working on one side of the world doing things while we on one side, on another side of the world, are actually conducting the governance. So we need a different set of technologies, and we need a different set of automation to make sure that we can actually manage our vendors properly. And this has probably been accelerated, certainly, because of COVID-19. So today, I'm going to briefly talk about this concept of transformational governance. So transformational governance occurs when technology and business converge to drive sustained value. What does that mean? Well, consider what the early 1990s were like. You know, we were doing, in many cases, first-generation governance. We were looking over the shoulders of our vendors, making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do working off spreadsheets and checklists, making sure that we are managing the milestones, many of them also being underreported. But as we entered into 2000, the primary focus in governance became cost reduction. And so we became very concerned about value linkage. So that meant large governance teams, um, many meetings, uh, lots of oversight, and the beginning of, of multi-sourcing, which made more complexities with how we worked with our partners. As we now move into 2010, we're seeing platform-based governance. So not just people, but also software and products. And how, do the, how does the interdependency of those uh, technologies drive the need for governance? It's becoming more complex. And as we move now into this post-COVID world, this transformational governance operates on a 24 by seven basis. It never sleeps. It's a cloud-first architecture. It means getting and understanding KPIs immediately and even pre-analyzing problems that could potentially arise and even solving them before they ever become problems. That's what transformational governance is all about. And it's analytics driven. 
So today, if you look at managed services, we expect costs to continue falling as we move more labor offshore to remote locations and offsite. Facilities costs are also going down and we're moving more to the cloud, which is driving also labor down. And this change is requiring a change in how we look at governance. Today at Avasant, we've been investing significantly in solutions designed to solve this problem. I'm gonna talk a little bit about some of the data that we're seeing. <clears throat> look at this shift. Now this is an increase in offsite and offshore governance requirements. The blue line depicts by industry roughly what in an outsource deal would be onshore versus offshore labor. So the, on the left, you see 74% for banking and financial services in blue. That means 74% of the labor with the outsource vendor would be offshore. You can see where that's shifting now post COVID, 90%. And you can see by industry that impact. And when we move to software as a service, it's 100%. Today, most of our offices are closed. We figured out how to work completely remotely, 100%. So this is impacting how we work. Again, we can't look over the shoulder anymore and say, hey, you're doing a good job. So what does this mean for our contracts? Well, one, our contracts today with vendors are increasingly on-demand contract structures. That means we have to renegotiate and rewrite the deals that we have. It also means we gotta terminate them and transition to new, to new service providers, new vendors. So these are now a different type of relationship. They require data on demand and they require solutions on demand. That requires platform-based support. Human beings can't do it alone. We need help. So with the increased automation required in contract management, the expectation is, is that we'll retain more of that business value that we had hoped and we won't have the contract leakage that we oftentimes see. We should see uh, better adherence to service levels, meeting price benchmarks, and delivery against contract value. So this is, as you can see, becoming uh, table stakes. Now here's the interesting thing about it. All these different vendors, all these different products and solutions and SaaS capabilities, they need to integrate with each other. They need to talk to each other. And we need to make sure we understand what happens when one fails, how does it affect the other vendors? Because the operating level agreements between vendors of the past are old news. They don't work. We have to be able to provide the guidance to keep sure that our vendors are working together in a remote workforce. The evolution to transform, transformational governance is really driving the need for Avicense. Avicense is Avicense's approach which really for the last 12 years we've been building to contract governance, SLA management, compliance and risk management, managing contract structures, finance, cost. Of course, benchmarking as well needs to be integrated in this solution and it has been to ensure that we meet our delivery obligations as uh, executives in governance. Thank you very much for your time and I look forward to the upcoming session. I'd like to introduce Anupam Govil. He is a partner at Avasant. He also is one of our leading executives in um, our governance practice. 
and he is a president of one of our regional geographies. Anupam, I uh, look forward to uh, hearing from the session and uh, please, the floor is yours. Thank you, Kevin. Um, and thank you to Debbie for hosting this uh, Gov20 conference uh, this year, virtually. Uh, Kevin set the stage uh, very nicely in terms of the trends on the digital side that have been impacting the sourcing industry for quite a while and the impact of the current pandemic and how it's forcing organizations to change the way they govern and manage their vendor relationships. As he said, the process of digital transformation was already underway. However, it has been accelerated due to the impact of COVID. Our relationships have been getting increasingly complex and the rapid adoption of cloud-first, AI enablement, and outcome-driven contracts is making the whole process of governance increasingly complex. So today in the panel today, we're gonna to talk about how governance should be reimagined to achieve business outcomes and agility. And to address some of these critical areas, I have a very uh, esteemed uh, set of panelists. I have Michael Yu, he's a director of procurement and category management of professional services and outsourcing for Merck. He manages a significant portfolio of IT and BPO services for the organization. We have Raul Howard. He's the executive director for the Office of Procurement and Contracting at Howard University. And again, he's been a thought leader in this area of vendor governance and sourcing. And finally, we have my colleague, Joe Frampas, who's also a partner with Avasan and based out of our Washington DC offices, managing one of our largest governance clients. So with that, I'm gonna first broach the uh, question to you all, and maybe uh, Michael, you can go first. Um, in light of what Kevin presented, uh, uh, how, uh, you know, the whole uh, sourcing ecosystem has changed with more complex contracts, multi-source, more cloud-based uh, applications and services. How has governance evolved for you as an organization? And what do you consider as transformational governance? Thank you, Anubam. So uh, for us, I think we're moving away from the standardized operational governance uh, procedures and processes. I think we're past that. So we're very, very good at that. We're able to track the contracts, look at the SLAs, do all the basic uh, blocking and tackling. I think our next level now, especially with COVID and especially now with uh, the teams being global, uh, it's more about moving it towards a more strategic discussion, not just within the procurement organization and, and across the globe, but also with our business stakeholders and really understanding from them, you know, what are their strategic imperatives, you know, what uh, business problems they're trying to, to resolve and move away from, let's say if it was IT, uh, it's uh, the solution is it's kind of, of a uh, interesting solution, but more about uh, business solutions. Uh, and th therefore it requires a lot more energy for us to gain uh, alignment from a procurement point of view with all our business stakeholders. So that's where a lot of our focus is. And then the second thing that we've done is that we have, uh, for each one of our, our categories, we have created 
what we call our strategic sourcing councils. And we have procurement representatives on those teams that act as our ambassadors around the globe to um, basically keep their uh, ear on the ground and provide us with feedback and start building those regional business relationships and provide us that feedback and enable us to do uh, better category management and, and put our strategies uh, together better. Thank you. Raul, what is your view on this? Well, again, I think my circumstance is very different to, to Michael um, in terms of business processes. Um, Howard University um, was less mature. So for us, uh, the governance and the introduction of the business partnership with Avasant was a direct result of a recognition that we did not have governance as it, it should exist. Um, we had a lot of gaps, right? From a business processes perspective, um, knowledge um, by persons on the ground managing these complex uh, agreements, right? These cloud-based agreements with SLEs and, and, and KPIs and ARCs and ROOCs um, and, and, and not convinced that everyone from a knowledge perspective kept pace with the transformation of the IT environment. And this is where our son for us um, became very, very important to help us from a strategy perspective, put in place an appropriate governance structure driven mainly initially by a network managed services agreement that was extremely complex. And I knew from a business continuity perspective because of high turnover within our organization in the IT space that having this type of service to allow us to streamline operations, manage risk, manage against the service levels and KPIs, and having full visibility of this information at all fingertips, together with reporting was extremely critical. And I see, so again, from maturity level, we are still stabilizing in this regard, and hopefully, um, we should transform, as Michael described, to that level later on with the assistance of the Avasant and the Avasense tool. Thank you, Raul. So, Joe, you're really an industry veteran. You've seen it all, right? You've seen from the early days of sourcing how companies used to manage their vendors, and now you're seeing the latest uh, approaches and tools and technologies. So, in your experience, how have you seen governance as a discipline? evolve and mature and, and what is transformational governance? So there are a few things. If, if you look at the early days when uh, contracts were not quite as uh, complex and the ecosystems were not as full as they are today, what was happening, you had a lot of, and back to Michael's point and to Raw's point, it was bringing people together and it was not as mature. So processes and procedures were important. And more importantly is service levels were a concept back in the nineties that you know it took a long time for people to get together. But back to Michael's point, as you see the transformation and as organizations mature, you're now down to these tech, technology SLAs, you know, people have been saying for years that they have to go away. And now with cloud and with all the new digital uh, 
things going on, as well as all these tools, you really do have to get away from operational and technical, technical service levels. So I see the transformation back to what Michael was saying and what Raul is saying too, is you now have to start looking at the business and you have to consider your customers as the end user. Your end users don't care whether you have a server up or down. They don't care whether the network's up 99.9%. They care that their phone works. They care that they can do a transaction. So where you see the transformational piece, I believe in governance is that transformation from your operational service levels to a more business oriented. And through that, you have the use of uh, automation and tools such as Avasense, and there are, there are a bandy of them out there today. So I think it's the combination of the tools and people realizing that technology SLAs are no longer really valid. Well, not, not that they're valid, but they're, they're not sometimes appropriate and useful. Uh, I think that's where you're gonna see all the transformation happen. Right. So, uh, Michael, um, when COVID hit um, overnight, uh, almost every organization had to change the way they manage their relationships. Um, your vendors were moving to work from home uh, um, um, and there were no possibility of traveling. So you had to manage everything remotely, right? How did that change? Uh, your processes and and what do you see as the permanent shift in terms of the, the governance methodology and the tools that you use yeah so i think uh, for starters for at least the bigger uh contracts and uh, agreements that we have in place uh, we were fortunate that we had the right technology meaning uh, the folks that um, support us today out of India or China or anywhere else, right? They had uh, laptops and we had the right VMware on them and it was an easier transition for them to, to work from home. So from that one aspect of it, I'm going to say we locked out, right? I don't think anyone uh, planned for this, right? It just happened that- You we, had the right we, vendor partners. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. So we were able to, to recover very, very quickly. Uh, but what we also realized when we went back into our contracts, right, that we had no language anywhere that, that actually described this kind of a scenario, right? So we had to beef up our contracts, uh, put several amendments in there, uh, you know, relook at our processes, but also, uh, you know, add other dimensions to what we were measuring with some of the team leaders uh, at these um, uh, companies, right? Above and beyond just the traditional uh, metrics that we had in place. So we had to, to make sure that people were okay, right? That people were actually, and, and we were very fortunate where we did not have a, you know, it was a very, very minor, it was almost transparent to us. So, but that also reminded us, right? That um, besides the traditional uh, disaster recovery and BCP plans that we, we have in place, we had to put add this scenario into the mix as well. So uh, we, we are now having, um, you know, different kinds of, uh, you know, semi-annual uh, uh, DR tests, right? Which will also take this into, into account. I think the other part of it beyond just the technology is we are now more uh, in tune with risk management as far as performing um, uh, more uh, frequent risk assessments. So for example, 
we know that not all our suppliers are big, right? And there may be some financial solvency uh, issues that we have to keep an eye on. So that also raised our antenna. And we work with them, obviously, right? Because we don't want them to go out of business, obviously, right? But we are doing, putting um, the right uh, measures in place for us to, to make sure that the operation is not uh, uh, interrupted. Right. Um, Raul, what was your um, sort of experience uh, yeah. transitioning into this post-COVID <laughs> reality? Well, interestingly, again, um, you know, kind of industry specific in a university with an academic medical center, um, it really forced us to, to look at and very quickly revise our emergency preparedness, right? Um, because this is nothing that any of us um, anticipated. Um, certainly, um, we had to, to react by moving students off of the campus. Um, and that put into jeopardy many contracts that we had to uh, revisit, um, driven primarily by our loss in revenue, right? We had took a significant loss in revenue. Um, we had to, to provide um, some, some, some assistance to students who could not otherwise um, you know, move home. Um, so we had to take some major contracts and work with them um, to uh, revise terms and conditions to bring the cost down. However, the challenge is, you know, how long would this period last, right? So is this revision short-term or long-term, right? Yeah. Um, as important was understanding how COVID also affected our business partner that could cap, right? How they can assist us as we try to revise um, revise our own terms and conditions. And it brought some significant insight into our business partners, business itself, how it's structured, right? Margins uh, and those types of things that, that allowed us, um, I, I must say it, it, it really, for me, brought to bear truly the business partnership you had yeah. in a circumstance such as this, right? And, and that's how we kind of worked through this meeting with each department how can we uh, reduce um, costs without impacting um, the education we provide, the patients we take care of, the researchers we support, and then going back to our, our, our vendors and having some very candid conversations that allowed, that required us to reveal a cost structure as well as, as they to re re reveal a cost structure in order for us to come up with a more mutually um, 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 beneficial uh, circumstance, keeping in mind that is it short term or long term, right? Um, so we found that to be to be very challenging as well. Yeah. So Michael, you brought up an interesting point, uh, which is that you know none of the contracts took this scenario into account. Mm -hmm. um, but the key thing here was obviously the flexibility of your vendors mm -hmm. to adapt quickly to this. Correct. new reality and Correct. continue to operate with the right service levels, Correct. despite the fact that they were getting hit from multiple sides, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Um, um, I mean, uh, uh, in, in light of that, do you see any changes in the future in, in terms of how contracts are written or managed? Yeah, of course. Uh, we're definitely going to add this specific scenario here into, and we started already writing it into our contracts. I think the other advantage also that we have is that we leverage our shared services centers. So we're not entirely outsourced um, all the operations, for example, in finance, right? So 
right. having this hybrid model also helped us out. But yes, uh, as far as the monitoring uh, and requiring not just the, uh, the DR plans in the contract, but also putting uh, more frequent reviews of the business. Uh, right. So don't wait every year, maybe do it every six months. Uh, those things are also included in our new language and, and data yeah. privacy as well, because now you have people, we have to think about, okay, well, people now working out of their home, yes, they are, they are employees of the suppliers that we work with, but we have to make sure and understand what their policies are as well, as far as any liabilities or anything like that, because it, for everyone, right, things have, have shifted. Right. Joe, you mentioned uh, uh, your point uh, in your earlier talk about, you know, how the end users actually care about the business outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. So um, how can we shift uh, our approach from managing SLAs to actually managing for business outcomes? What are some of the things that you see uh, your clients doing? Well, I think what you're seeing now, and I actually think COVID actually uh, pushed it up, it made it even faster, is that the businesses in IT are actually talking more together now than they ever have. Uh, I think what you're seeing is that, you know, the businesses realize that, you know, they always thought IT was, you know, it was just free and it was just there and they get it. Now they realize and they're beginning to realize how, um, how pivotal it is for their own uh, departments and businesses and now and you know many of them have all thought that way but I think you're seeing it even more now so what's happening is that you I see much more collaboration amongst the business units and the IT organizations than I ever have before so and then and, and because and back to the, my point around business outcomes IT guys for the most part really didn't didn't know what they were doing. They just got requirements from the business unit. They did something and they fixed it. They didn't really take what it really meant to the end user. I think you're seeing more of that now. And so with that in cases, they're really, they, I think that it's much more collaborative. And so I think you're seeing uh, these type of things happen now. Yeah. So uh, Raul and Michael, uh, are you seeing that? more interaction between business and IT and even vendor management sourcing groups, like more collaboration to ensure end-to-end -end focus on business outcomes? Yes, uh, for us, definitely. Uh, it also depends on the category of service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think maybe the IT and finance and some of these other are more binary and a lot easier to, to define. But uh, as of last year, we had a, a large integrated facilities management uh, sourcing exercise. And for that one, we could have easily uh, photocopied what we had in, uh, before and just put that in the RFPs. But uh, we took a different approach where we invited the representatives from the labs and from the manufacturing sides and the commercial offices. And we really asked them about, you know, tell us what are your strategic imperatives, right? So that was yeah. one. Uh, yeah. route that we have taken. The other route that we've also asked for them, okay, well, tell us what kind, let's come up with some problem statements. Tell us what you hope to solve. If, if we pick the, the XYZ supplier, what would you want to see from them from a business perspective? And that actually worked out very well for us because it allowed us 
above and, uh, above and beyond just the, you know, the regular RFP questions that you put in, in, in these uh, documents to also have that other dimension. And we actually scored them on that above and beyond just their, their technical capabilities. So I think that was a, a pretty good outcome for us. Yeah, Raul? Yeah, so I think again, you know, going back to kind of the, the level of maturity within the organization um, with respect to, to governance, um, for us, for me, um, definitely there was collaboration, but I think um, certainly engaging um, or getting the assistance um, for gov from a governance perspective to help build out those business outcomes as well, right? To give us a better understanding potentially as to what those business outcomes um, can be or should be relative to industry um, because your, the customers within the organization may not necessarily know. They have a sense of, but may not know, but helping us bring that all together based on the experience of, of industry and helping us bring those uh, business outcomes to bear so that we can then bake those into contracts on a going forward basis. Okay. So I think that leads me to the next question all for you and, and maybe Joe, you can add to it. Um, you know, how does this accentuate the relevance and significance of uh, using governance tools and automating some of these governance functions to ensure that we're able to generate more business value uh, yeah. Yeah. from the relationships. Right. Uh, so, so, so I would say, you know, I, I say to everyone, you know, to thine own self be true, right? You have to know your organization and know what role governance is going to play within your organization, right? Um, you've done the gap analysis relative to the procurement function, relative to your customers and how they manage contracts and manage vendor relationships. You have to look in terms of, again, business continuity um, based on the historical perspective of your organization and coming up with a program of governance um, using the tools for transparency, visibility, workflows to help you manage the service levels, the KPIs, as well as the risk, right? And establishing a cadence of review, I think is very important and reports to support it, right? And then driving the value proposition for governance within your organization. So as I said, in my instance, it was a, a smaller program with the intent of being able to convince an organization that this needs to be focused going forward from a strategy perspective, thereafter bringing more complex contracts under the governance structure by illustrating the true value proposition of using a governance approach to, to contract and contract management and vendor relationships. Okay. So John, before you add to that, I just want to remind the listeners, uh, if they can ask your questions on the event mobile app, I'm going to be taking a couple of audience questions very soon. Yeah, I, I would say what has changed dramatically was, remember, governance used to be a very manual process. And, you know, contracts, you know, when you were... When contracts were all over the place. When you start, when we started using tools and, and automation, what we were finding is we were finding contract amendments in desks. There were people didn't know what the roles and responsibilities are. But you look at the tools today. Right now, at your fingertips, you can tell if you have a, a an obligation to a supplier or to a vendor. You you have an you have have an opportunity now to know when something is due, when that contract is up at your fingertips versus going searching through paper. So, it, and so which means not only has it 
automated it properly, it you, takes less people to do that. And it actually makes everyone smarter. And when you look at your contracts, you're gonna find, you put them in tools, you're gonna be much more consistent. You know, one contract says something about this, another contract says the opposite. But it's in, but they're saying they're doing the same services kind of. Now you have an opportunity to bring consistency to your contracts and make them more standard. Yeah, yeah. Michael, how about you at Mark? Are you using uh, governance tools and automation in your governance functions? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, we're rolling out um, uh, the Ariba platform that also includes the contract management uh, module in there and the vendor management aspects of it as well. We had to, because of our manufacturing uh, requirements and direct material uh, requirements had a specific um, supplier uh, development performance management team. And we're actually taking those best practices and capabilities and we're extending them over to uh, the indirect space as well. So uh, th that's kind of some of the initiatives that we're, we have in place. Uh, you know, some, some of the categories are more difficult to measure, right? So if I looked at advisory mm -hmm. services, right, that might be tougher, but uh, we are making great strides in trying to standardize things um, and uh, look at our common suppliers uh, with the same lens and, and make, uh, gain yeah. insights and make better decisions, yeah. Single thing of, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, common dashboards. So let me ask a question here now from the audience, which uh, aligns with this. Uh, how much responsibility can we put on our outsource vendors to uh, set up these dashboards and provide the on-demand data? So Michael, I mean, how do you manage this uh, with your vendors? Yeah, so so today they have their, uh, obviously the, the, the way that they are collecting the data, right? Uh, through our governance process, there's a vetting process because you know sometimes what they would present to us, we may have a different opinion about a certain outcome. Uh, so before we uh, publish everything, uh, we will sit down with them and, and, and go through any outliers and, and bring those to conclusions. And then when we're both in agreement and then we have all the business stakeholder feedback as well, then and only then we say, okay, here's the dashboard, right? This is the final uh, recommendation and here's some of the actions that we have to take uh, for certain issues that might have popped up. So it goes through some filtering first um, and then uh, obviously some validation, yeah. Okay, Joe, when you're uh, doing um, some of the sourcing contracts, um, how are you taking uh, this into account when um, um, you know negotiating these contracts in terms of uh, having the vendor provide the right data in real time or uh, managing some of these dashboards? So as, as you know, the supplier community obviously has a lot of information. They're gonna have a lot of data and they also have a lot of tools. So you wanna, you as a customer wanna take advantage of that. But at, at the same time as you wanna be able to audit and be able to verify what they're telling you is correct. Because as I always tell my clients is, you know, they're there to make money. So, which is good, but at the same time is you have to be able to understand what's going on in the underpinnings of the, that information that they're providing you. So, so you can't go, basically you can't go into it blind. 
I think that the suppliers do have a lot of good tools that, that can be used, but you have to, as a customer, you have to understand what it is they're telling you because I hate to say it, but the suppliers are always gonna wanna make it to their advantage. And which is okay, I mean, that's what they do. But I mean, as long as you can verify and audit it and, and understand it and there's transparency there, I think th that's fine. Yeah. So, Raul? I think absolutely. Um, for, for us, again, um, we, we relied on, on Avasan to provide us that validation. But in addition to that, what I thought was important um, that, that Avasan did was they really took a, a look at our business processes as it existed to identify if there were any gaps and then align uh, the use of the tool um, to ensure that a business process was followed by all parties, both internal and external, that would have included the validation of any of the reports or dashboards that were given. And then establishing a cadence of, of, of meetings that would have allowed us to vet the dashboards, right, before we present it to the larger group, right? So there was a, I, I guess there is some sort of level of negotiation, depends on what has been presented, relative to the contract, right? That we would go through first um, and then say, okay, no, we agree this is, this is appropriate or not, or we put something in a parking lot that we have to address at a, at a later time. But I thought okay. that's correct. that that would, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So we have an <clears throat> interesting follow-on question to this, Michael, you can maybe address this. Uh, uh, this question says, we've not had much success with dashboards <clears throat> in terms of deciding what should be on the dashboard to show value? What has been your experience? So for us, we started with, uh, we threw everything in, including the kitchen sink at the beginning, <laughs> right? Because if you go, you ask a hundred people, what should we have in here? You'll get a hundred different answers. Yeah. And then you try to uh, make everyone happy and then you end up with a big mess and a huge administrative uh, task. So uh, over time, we were able to start saying, okay, is this meaningful, right? What is the business outcome? Is it common? Does it cut across also, because we have some suppliers that manage HR and IT and finance, right? Does it cut across, right? So let's try to consolidate uh, some of these metrics and get it into a reasonable, meaningful uh, uh, metric, right? That we can actually action uh, things against. And, and I think it took us some time, right? So that was one thing. And then, and then it made it also easier for us uh, when we try to automate the, these things using, either using Spotfire or Tableau or any other kind of technologies or SAP analytics, whatever, right? Uh, it made that a lot easier for us because we had a, a smaller universe of, uh, of data points, right? That we were looking at. And, but we also gave the flexibility uh, for ourselves to experiment, right? And then see perhaps there was one metric that it was always green. And then we'll ask ourselves, well, it, it looks like we, we matured this process, right? Do we need this to be measured moving forward? Or do we, do we replace that one with something else that popped up, right, along the way? Mm -hmm. So, um, and again, it, it's all in coordination with the business stakeholders, right, to make it meaningful. Right. Yep. Uh, Joe, um, any thoughts on that? No, what should I be on those dashboards? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that is, you know, a, a lot of times suppliers love to just give you green dashboards, 
So, you know, sooner or later you have to determine, okay, well, if it's always green, is it really something that's appropriate? <laughs> or do I need to be looking at something? Are my, are my end users happy? So I, I, I agree that, you know, it's something that you constantly have to look at and challenge yourself to say is, okay, I'm doing this now, where, where do I go to the next level? If everything's green, do I just sit back and just say, okay, good, but what do I need to do to go to the next level? Which is a hard thing to do for people to, to, to uh, actually do. Yeah, yeah, I can give you guys specifically an example, right? One typical one is uh, uh, around employee attrition. Yeah. And we were arguing up and down and we're like, we were said to ourselves, wait a minute, hold on. If the work is getting done and they're performing it at the highest quality and nobody's complaining about it, then if they, if it's, if they have five people versus 10, or if, if people are rotating, maybe they have a good pro process and their, and their yeah. knowledge transfer is good. So why do we care about that? So that's kind of like one example. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. So I'm gonna go slightly off script here and ask a question that which I think, um, um, you know, is something that's always there um, in people's mind, especially in organizations that uh, are not as happy with the kind of innovation they're getting from their vendors, right? And the way I look at it, there is an innovation penalty in governance, meaning to innovate, you have to kind of go over and above the contract and then you're kind of in no man's territory, right? So what is your view, Raul? Uh, maybe you can start first and then Michael in terms of how do you ensure greater innovation from your vendors while still abiding with the core contract stipulations. Uh, you're in mute, Raul. I think this is where the, the business partnership really comes to bear. And not only in terms of the service that you've, you've retained the vendor to provide, but truly understanding the trajectory of their own innovation. To understand what benefit at some point in time um, that they can bring to your organization and truly understanding it, not just in terms of a vendor being able to send, sell you more, more, more services, but certainly to help, help you understand how services can elevate your own goals and objectives within, within the function, right? And I think so understanding um, vendors' whole business proposition um, long-term, well beyond the services that they are providing for me, truly would allow us to then test the vendor, not just wait on them to present, but to request and require them to prevent innovation moving forward. Yeah, so for us is a little bit of a, a little bit of a di different twist. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is that we uh, decided that uh, we should give uh, our, um, our suppliers some direction <laughs> because many times they come to us with many innovative ideas and we either don't like it or we don't agree what whatever the situation is so we decided at the beginning of every year when we set our strategies is to come up with some themes right so if it is uh cost savings then we will entertain any innovative ideas that will drive cost savings if it's around quality, let's talk about quality and just go go through those themes because otherwise it's just a, a waste of time. So that was one thing we did. The second one is we had to put the right incentives in place uh, because if you think about innovation, there's some that will require 
some capital investment perhaps from our side. So we need to be in agreement with that, right? We cannot expect our suppliers to always uh, pony up for the money. Uh, and then if there are any additional uh, savings that uh, uh, could, be, could be delivered by, by the supplier, we can take a percentage of that and put it into an innovation fund that we can then uh, draw from yeah. and, and uh, fund some of these initiatives. So use some of their performance credits to drive innovation and enable that in a more structured way. Correct, correct. Uh, so I think that's, take... a, that's a tactic that's not used as often as it should be, but I'm glad you brought it up. So I'm going to take a little different tact on that, and, and both Raul and Michael. Had, but when, I, when I'm looking at contracts and I'm doing contracts, I sit my client and the supplier down or the vendor, and I say, "Is what's your defini of definition of innovation? And I will tell you right now is they're like this. They're not like this. You would be surprised. You would be shocked, in fact, how many the, the vendor thinks, oh, yeah, this is what it is. And the customer's going is, what's that do have to do with my business? I, it happens, you would think by now, and I've seen innovation terms and contracts for years that people wouldn't be on the same page. And I will tell you, they're not. They still, that you know, a customer's vision of innovation is more times than not, nine out of 10 times is different from what the supplier has. And I would tell you okay. when you go into those, and when you're looking at that governance, everyone has to be aligned. Okay, great. So folks, we're coming to the end of our session. I wanted to squeeze in one last maybe question quickly. Uh, this came in from the audience and aligned with what I was gonna ask that, uh, how successful have you been with big vendors such as AWS, Microsoft, et cetera, to move away from the standard operational and technical SLAs to be more business outcome oriented SLAs or KPIs. So Michael, do you want to give a quick, uh, like a 30 second response to that? Yeah, again, it goes back to uh, defining what those business outcomes. And I think a lot of times the conflict is because of that. We're, we're not clear to them what we're expecting. I think once uh, uh, we define that, right? And uh, we're clear with them, they're, no, they're more willing to take some risks and, and, uh, and be willing to, to co-define them with you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, the reality is that, you know, governance has changed a lot and it needs to be reimagined by leveraging tools and automation and, and rethinking along the lines of outcomes and, uh, and uh, ultimately business uh, value. So um, thank you to all of you for sharing your insights today. And um, I think in a subsequent session on Wednesday, we will be sharing how Avasense is able to provide some of this real time and transactional governance capabilities. Thank you to IOP. Great, thank you, Anupam. Thank you Take guys. Care, everyone.